announcements, I do want to spend a little bit of time as we begin our service just praying for it has been definitely a very interesting year with uh, not only the pandemic and we had a very hot summer, very dry summer and with the fires that have been going on. And I remember having services in the backyard in August and ash was falling on us. And here we are in October. We would have never thought that those fires that, that we have seen west of Fort Collins up in Wyoming uh, that have uh, popped up in Colorado would continue this late into October. But even last weekend, we saw and, and last week, uh, those fires make a run. Uh, the Cameron uh, Peak fire is over 200,000 acres, by far the largest fire in Colorado history. To the north of there in the Snowy Mountains is uh, the Mullen Fire that is 176,000 acres, I believe. And then we saw the Cowwood Fire that broke out on Saturday, and at least 26 homes were burnt down in one afternoon when that fire broke out. It moved very quickly, and it's still going. So I want to just pray for those who are, you know, evacuated from their homes. They still haven't been able to, to get up there to see if, if their cabin or their home is burnt down. Uh, dozens of them have been destroyed in the Cameron Peak Fire, in the Mullen Fire up in the Snowies, and then also here, as we know, in Boulder County, uh, west of Boulder, between Boulder and Longmont. Uh, many homes have been burnt. They don't know exactly how many till they get in there. Um, but with the smoke and the ash, uh, it has been a difficult uh, summer. And we just want to pray that the moisture does come in, that suppresses those fires. We want to pray for the first responders. We want to pray for uh, moisture to come in this winter because we really need it. And the long-range forecast is, is we're possibly going to have a dry winter. Uh, we pray for the, the moisture to come in to refresh our land. Uh, matter of fact, I was looking at it that we're about half of what we should be as far as a total amount of moisture for the year. And so uh, it's drought and it's difficult and uh, it has uh, taken place on top of all the other things that we've been dealing with. So I just want to spend some time praying. Of course, we have an election in less than two weeks uh, that is going to take place. We want to pray for our nation. And we as Christians, uh, we are to be on our knees. We are to be praying. We are to be, you know, going to our Lord um, because he does care about our nation. He cares about Colorado. He cares about those who have lost everything in their home. Uh, their home burnt down. And I know that a home, uh, and I think most of you would agree, if not all of you, that it's more than just wood and brick and, and carpet and, and all of that. A home is a place where it becomes a place where we dwell and the memories and, uh, you know, it's very important to us. And to lose that in one afternoon, I just can't imagine uh, all of a sudden, they never, when those uh, in Boulder County woke up, they never dreamed that their homes by the end of the day would be gone and um, they would be completely destroyed. And it shows us how fragile life is, but it also shows us how thankful we can be every single day in the things that the Lord has given to us and, and what he's blessed us with. And, and so we want to pray for them that have lost so much uh, over the last couple of weeks and the last couple of months in these fires, Lord, as we just come to you 
And we do pray. Uh, Colorado, we have seen the worst fire season. I know that that's on record. Um, two of the largest fires in Colorado history happened in the last couple months. And Lord, uh, the forest that we go up and camp in and go fishing in and go hiking in, so much of it is, is now burnt. We know that according to Isaiah chapter 61, that you're the one that brings beauty from the ashes. We know that you're the one that will, uh, because you're the creator, um, that you created it in such a way that a new force is going to come in. And there's going to be uh, new beginnings. And, and over the long run, it will be green again. But Lord, there has been a lot of lost. And, and there have been those who have lost their homes. There have been those who have lost the memories and uh, the things that are important. And they lost it very quickly. I pray that you just be with them and that you bring comfort to them. Uh, I'm thankful that no one uh, perished in those fires on Saturday when they broke out in Boulder County. And Lord, none that I know of in, in the Cameron Peak fire that's been burning. But I do pray for those who are displaced right now, the, the evacuations in place, not knowing day after day whether they got a home to go to or a cabin that's still standing. And Father, I do want to just pray for those who have gone through such tremendous loss. And Lord, it's not only here in Colorado, but out in California and in Oregon, and we hear about it, and whole neighborhoods that have been burnt or small towns because of the devastation of the fires. And Lord, I do pray for those who are on the fire lines. I know they're exhausted. They're tired. Um, we thank you for their efforts. We thank you for um, them working the fires. We just pray for strength. We pray that the moisture would come in here this week and would suppress those fires, that they would not spread any further, that eventually they would be put out, and, um, and Lord, that relief would come. And I also pray that you'd be with all those involved, uh, those who are involved, um, the Red Cross and those working and those who are helping those who are displaced, uh, those who are first responders um, in the medical field that are ministering, those who are in the sheriff's office, those who are uh, the county officials, and those who are figuring all these things out, uh, those of the Forest Service and of the BLM. I just pray you be with them and give them wisdom and direction and guidance. It has been a very, very exhausting summer for them. And Lord, we do pray for the moisture to come in this winter. We pray that the snowpack would be normal, above normal even, that we'd have a good uh, moisture contact as we head, in, head into next summer, that we, you would bring relief. And, and Lord, that you would just, uh, re, re, just bring um, just the, the rains and the snow and the moisture to refresh our land. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, not only is there a dryness and a drought physically, but Lord, spiritually as well. And I pray for a spiritual revival that would take place in our nation. We know that as we are headed towards an election in less than two weeks, we pray for our nation that, Lord, somehow there would be a turning to you. And, Lord, you're the one that sets those in authority. But, Lord, may our voices be heard as we go to the polls as Christians to vote for, Lord, um, 
those things uh, and the people that you put on our hearts uh, as we look at the issues. And we want to vote our Bible. We want to vote, uh, Lord, the way that um, our conscience has uh, been put on our hearts to vote. And, and Lord, we prayed for uh, the future of our leaders is a new president, perhaps a, a new Congress, a, a new, um, you know, state uh, officials, uh, all the offices that are up. Lord, we pray that our leaders would turn to you and we need your help and we need you. And Lord, uh, we know that the direction we're going spiritually is so concerning for us. So we as Christians, may we be light May we just continue to have our voice be heard. May we, Lord, uh, stand for righteousness. But, Lord, also we want to pray for our leaders that your word says. Peter says that we are to do that. Paul, the apostle, to pray for those in authority. And knowing that you're the one that still sits on the throne. You're still sovereign. Lord, you are ruling. And everything is culminating to where the kingdom of God's going to come. So help us to keep our eyes on you. So, Lord, this pandemic that has caused so much problems and, and adversity and in so many different ways, we pray that it would go away. And, Lord, um, that it would diminish and people have suffered because of it. And more than just physically, of course they have. Maybe those who are listening right now have loved ones that passed or um, maybe were sick, but we know that the ramifications are far-reaching like jobs lost and uh, things being canceled and we've had to adapt and we've had to adjust and we've had to maneuver through this maybe isolation discouragement the uncertainty which is ahead and so lord i just pray that you would bring comfort to those who need it that lord that we would remember you're still with us and lord that you'd bring healing to our land we just pray for your mercy and grace to be upon this church, to keep the COVID out, to keep us healthy, Lord, to, so that we can continue to meet and worship you. And so, Lord, we just give all this to you. You care about us. And as we go through this section of Jeremiah, that we would be encouraged, Lord. This is a word for us. And so we just embrace the things that you say to us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we find ourselves in chapter 44, as we are in, uh, entered into chapter 39, from chapter 39 to chapter 45, uh, is kind of the last section of Jeremiah's ministry that is told to us in that Jeremiah is at the end of his ministry, and he has been speaking God's word to the people that uh, because of your disobedience and because of your idol worship and listening to the false teachers and their false message and the false hope that they were giving, and you guys continue in your false worship, that you're going to go into captivity. And he would warn them that it was coming. And there was death and destruction and devastation that was going to come by the hands of the Chaldeans, or that is, the Babylonians. And even when that began in the first wave of, of captives being taken away in 605 B.C., 
they continued in their wickedness and disobedience. Even after the second wave of captives being taken away and the treasuries of the house of the Lord taken off to Babylon, they continued to rebel against the Lord. And Jeremiah has been on the scene the whole time given the word of the Lord and given the warning of the Lord. And we know that the Lord has been saying, turn back to me, but they refused to do that. And Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, was told, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, and he did. So Jerusalem is destroyed. And we saw the fall of Jerusalem in chapter 39 of Jeremiah, and that was a dark day in their history. And as Jerusalem would fall, many would be killed. Solomon's temple would be destroyed, that magnificent temple that he would build. And we know that the people would be dispersed. They would go to Ramah. That was the staging area. We read about how there is weeping at Ramah because can you imagine that you're separated from your family, from your homeland, taken off into Babylon, never to come back again? We know that Jeremiah would say that the captivity is going to last 70 years. Don't believe what the false teachers are saying, the false prophets, declaring it's only going to be a couple years. But you go off to Babylon, you are to take wives, you are to plant yourself there, live peaceably there because you're going to be there for a while. And, and the Lord didn't want their numbers to diminish. But after 70 years, Jeremiah chapter 29, I will visit you. I will remember you and bring you back into the land, which would take place in 536 B.C. But at this time here, Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is interesting, as we saw that he was given the option to, to go back to Babylon uh, by the word of Nebuchadnezzar. And I think that Daniel had something to do with that because Daniel has been in the palace of Babylon uh, serving Nebuchadnezzar, found favor with Nebuchadnezzar. You see that very clearly in the book of Daniel. And so Nebuchadnezzar said to his chief you know, officer that take care of Jeremiah. And, and Jeremiah was told, you can go back to Babylon, we'll take care of you there. And Jeremiah could have very easily have done that, but he chose to stay in Judah. He chose to stay in Mitzpah, where Gedaliah would become the governor. He would be overseeing that area. And as we travel through the chapters, we see that there is a group, a remnant of Jews that had gone to the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, they come back. They said to Gedaliah, what will happen to us if, if we come back? Is Nebuchadnezzar going to come after us? Are we going to be in trouble? And Gedaliah said, no, just stay in the land, work the land. Um, only a few of the, the poor were remaining uh, in the land. They were in Mitzpah, which was north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and they had erected a tent there, the house of the Lord, and, and, and there they could live peaceably, and they could collect the harvest, and, and it was actually a good deal for them to be there. It was better than going off into captivity in Babylon, but what happened was there is this rebellion, this rebellion by Ishmael. He came and killed Gedaliah, and, and then he took the remnant of the people. He killed some of the Chaldeans that were there, or Babylonians, and he would go off to the east side of the Jordan River hiding out. 
and another individual that seemed like that he was a good guy, Johanan, he goes and rescues those people. He brings them then to the area around Bethlehem, and they come to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is all caught up in this. And, and I just wonder if Jeremiah at that point was thinking, maybe I should have gone off to Babylon. It would have been a lot easier. But he chose to be there. He continues to give the word of the Lord. Johanna and some of the leaders at that group that had that remnant that they brought back, and they're wondering, okay, Nebuchadnezzar's going to come after us. He's going to avenge the death of the Chaldeans and get Eliah. But we want to hear from you, Jeremiah. We want to hear the word of the Lord. And Jeremiah said, okay, I'm not going to hold anything back from you. And Jeremiah gave them the word of the Lord. And as we saw that over the last couple of weeks, Jeremiah said, listen, stay here. Stay in the land. Stay here in Judah. And as you do, it's going to be okay. You don't have to fear Nebuchadnezzar. But they wanted to go to Egypt. They thought if they went to Egypt and they escaped to Egypt, that they would get away from Nebuchadnezzar. Everything will be good. There'll be no threat. There'll be no problems. And it was Jeremiah that said, thus says the Lord, don't go to Egypt. Don't go there because if you do, again, you're going to die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. And, and in the place where you desire to go. And we have talked about a very important lesson for us is sometimes, even as Christians, there can be a temptation to go to Egypt, to go to the wisdom of Egypt, to the way of Egypt, to hide in Egypt, because we think it's going to be easier. And, of course, in the Old Testament, Egypt is a picture of the world. To go to the world's ways, the world's philosophies, to hide out in the world and rebel against the word of the Lord, and that's what they're doing. So now as Jeremiah is taken to Egypt, they go to Egypt, as uh, we saw that in the last chapter, and there they think they're going to be okay. But as we continue in chapter 44 now, that the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal and Tephanus at Noph in the country of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the calamity that I brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day you are a desolation, and no one dwells in them. Because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they do not know, they nor your fathers. Verse 4, however, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. So again, the word hasn't changed, as we know that the word came to the Jews there, saying, You continue in worshiping these false gods, and, and you continue to burn incense to them. You have not turned back to the word of the Lord, and, and you... Uh, have ignored the prophets that were sent to you, uh, even Jeremiah that was sent to you, verse 5, as you didn't listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in these cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant, out of Judah, leaving, that is, none to remain? And then in verse 8, as we continue reading, in that you provoke me to wrath and to the works of your hands, 
burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers and the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, uh, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives they have committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem? And in verse 10, they have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or my statues that I set before you and your fathers. So here is this rebuke against God's people that we have seen going through the book of Jeremiah. And this would be a word to all the Jews that had rebelled and gone to Egypt. And verse 1 tells us here are the different places that they would go throughout Egypt. They thought they would be safe. They thought they would dwell there. It would be easy for them. And this is Jeremiah's, listen, in chapter 44 here, this is Jeremiah's last recorded message given to the people. It is now around 580 B.C., and you recall that it's in the 13th year uh, of Josiah's reign that Jeremiah began his ministry. That would put it at 626 B.C. So as you do the math, Jeremiah has been ministering for 46 years. And I admire Jeremiah's commitment and faithfulness, even in the discouragement and persecution and frustration that he went through. Here is his last word, and it is the same as in the beginning. You've gone to Egypt. You continued in your idol worship. You haven't feared God, even though you've seen all that has happened to Judah and to Jerusalem. Uh, you have not turned away from the wickedness of the kings and of, you know, uh, those who are in the land. Uh, you have committed idolatry. You have a hard heart towards the Lord, and you have not listened to the prophets. So I admire Jeremiah's commitment to truth through all these years, 46 years he is giving the word of the Lord. And there's three things that I think that I took note of in these 10 verses that we just read. Number one is that you and I are to keep giving the word. The word of God doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the word of God is sure, and it is true, and we can give it to people, and God's word does not change. There are those who come along and try to change it, or they get into what is called this progressive theology, that God's word is progressing and evolving, and it evolves with the culture. No, God's word is true, and we can read it, and we can give it to others, and that's what we are to do. And we are to do that throughout our lives, throughout our walk with the Lord and to be faithful and to do that. And, and we see the example in Jeremiah. We saw the example in Isaiah who ministered over 40 years, given the word of the Lord. We see in the New Testament, for example, Paul the Apostle, who was so faithful in those missionary journeys, given the gospel and given the word of God and the gospel of grace that he stood on, clear up until the time that he would be executed by Caesar Nero. We see examples of the scriptures of those who are dedicated to the word of God and giving the word of God. And I think about in my own life the examples that, that we have seen in our own generation. Uh, my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, who is faithful to teach the word of God all throughout his ministry for 50 years uh, before he went home to be with the Lord. You know, and, and I remember watching him uh, give his last Sunday service um, as he was there teaching and 
sitting on a stool. He, he was weak, but he was given the word of God. On Monday, he did radio, the live radio program. On Wednesday, he went home to be with the Lord. Absolutely amazing. Faithful, clear up until the time that the Lord took him home. I think about men like Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who was faithful to give the gospel and the word of God clear up until the end. And he lived to be about, I believe it was 100 years old. But as long as he had breath, he would speak of the cross and the need to repent and turn to Jesus. I think about, I was listening to Charles Stanley, and many of you have been blessed by his in-touch you know, ministry and, and booklets and devotions. And he's such a great Bible teacher. And he had stepped down from uh, pastoring uh, the First Baptist Church there in Georgia, in Atlanta. And he, he spoke about that for 50 years, given the word of God, 88 years old. And he's still going to be preaching. He's still going to be doing in-touch programs and things like that. But just faithful to that. And that encourages me. And that really stirs my heart. You know, I was thinking, I was talking to, with Sue uh, a couple of weeks ago about that. And I said, you know, uh, if, if the Lord gives me breath, if I go another 25 years, that'll be 50 years. You know, I'll be in my 80s and maybe I can do that. But the key is for us to be faithful, for you to be faithful, to continue to give the word of God to your children and, and to your grandchildren or whoever is linked to you in your life. As the days pass in the weeks to months to years, the word of God that we have to give to people now, you know, is important. And to continue to give that to them. Word of God doesn't change. And it is for our benefit. And it, it is profitable for us for, for correction, for rebuke, for instruction in righteousness. That every man be, be thoroughly equipped for every good work is what Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, to be able to give that to them. So number one, given the word of God like Jeremiah, the example here. Second of all, a hard heart is very dangerous. Their hearts have become hardened towards the word of God. And we're going to see here in this chapter, they're going to say, we didn't want to listen to the word of God. I pray that we as Christians would not have a hard heart. And that can happen in very subtle ways. Oh, I'm a Christian. I believe in the word of God. And there we hear a commandment. We hear instruction from the Lord. We hear, uh, you know, the voice of the Lord through the word of God speaking to us. And we can harden our hearts to it if we don't like it. They didn't like the message that Jeremiah was given. They thought he was a traitor, that he's against us. They ignored the warnings. And we need to be careful that we don't harden our hearts to the Lord in any way. The warnings that are given to us, the instructions that are given to us, the commandments that are given to us, that, that we have a heart that is always soft. Lord, I hear your word. Your word is true. And I need to receive your word and not harden my heart to it because a hardened heart leads to number three i can't help but underline what's there in verse seven why do you commit this great evil against yourselves uh, they had committed evil against themselves and if any of us that we rebel against the lord they were committing evil against ourselves i've said this before sometimes we can be our own worst enemies and we can say, I don't want to believe the word of God. I don't want to follow the word of God. I don't want to follow his commandments. And, and we're really hurting ourselves when we do that. I've talked to people that come in and talk to me about certain circumstances or situations. And I'll give them the word of God. And they'll say, well, that doesn't work for me. 
or I'm going to do something else, or I'm going to take the world's advice. And I know that they're going to get hurt because of that. So we want to make sure that we are obedient to the word as we are having a soft heart and that as we follow the Lord, that we're not doing evil against ourselves because we've seen very clearly in this, this book what happens when we walk in disobedience. And it's written to us not just give us a historical record, but for spiritual application for us as well. So we want to walk in obedience because we know it will be well with us. That was the message. If you do what God's called you to do and stay in the land and don't rebel, everything will be good. It will be well with you. But they refuse to listen. So we want to make sure that we are doing what the Lord told us to do. One of the things that stuck out with me is, is the desolation that is going to come to you. We see that it is used in this chapter a few times. In, in verse 2, they are a desolation. Uh, we see it in verse 6, and are wasted and desolate to this day because they angered the Lord, because they followed the dictates of their evil hearts, because they followed that which was false. One of the things that we're going to see in Matthew's gospel uh, on Sunday is Jesus turns to those cities in the Galilee, uh, Capernaum, uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and he rebukes them. And he says, he talks about the desolation that comes to them. You recall when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, they said, you, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you to myself, uh, uh, um, you know, like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not come. And now your house is left to you desolate. Listen, our house, our lives will be left desolate if we rebel against the Lord. And that's what's happening to the people here. And in verse 11, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will send my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah that have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine. They shall be an oath and an astonishment, a curse and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword and famine and pestilence. In verse 14, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape. So God would punish the remnant that went into Egypt to try to escape. You're not going to escape. You can't escape from God. And, and you're going to experience the punishment of God just as it happened in Judah. Now, there's going to be some that are going to be allowed, a few fugitives that go back to Judah that escape. But we see that for the most part, those who remain in Egypt, they're going to be um, you know, put to death. And they're going to experience the judgment that God's going to bring to them, verse 15, that then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods with all the women who stood by a great multitude and all the people who dwell in the land of Egypt and Patros answered Jeremiah saying, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. Isn't that amazing? I think it's some of the, la the saddest verses that we have in the Bible. 
you're speaking about this death and destruction and devastation that's going to come to us because of our sin. Well, you know what? We're not going to listen to you. We are not going to listen to you. And we're going to see that the punishment is great and God's word is going to come to pass. Doesn't that break our hearts when we talk to somebody and, and they won't listen? And we're not going to listen to the word of the Lord. It breaks our hearts. But also there's something here that all the men that knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods. I think it's important for us to stop and consider this. That the head of the homes, the men knew what their wives were doing, burning incense to, as we're going to see, he's going to mention the queen of heaven and drink offerings and making cakes for her and this idol worship. The husbands knew what was going on, but yet they did nothing about it. This reminds me, guys, how important it is for us to be that spiritual covering and to lead our families. God has commissioned us and called us to do that, to lead our families. We are to be the head of the wife, the head of the family, and we are to wash our wives with the water of the word, and we are to do that in a way that we're, we're a covering, that, that we are, you know, ones that we bring the word of God into our homes, that we are serving our families. Even as Joshua would cry out, choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, and to raise our children in the admonition and the training of the Lord is so important, guys, that we do that, especially in the day in which we are in, to be leading spiritually our families. Because if we don't, it brings harm to our family. And God desires for us to do that, and he wants to equip us to do that. It reminds me of what I read here, that here they knew what their wives were doing. They didn't care. You know, whatever you want to do. And, and they were not leading in the way that they should have. It reminds me that clear back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, we know the story when the serpent came to Eve and tricked Eve into eating of the, the fruit that was forbidden. And, and in verse 6 of the chapter, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tr tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate... She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So as I read that, the implication seems to be that it was Adam that was there. This conversation going on between the servant and Eve, and did God really say that you shouldn't eat of that tree? And then as she ate, she turned and gave it to her husband that was with her. He did nothing. He did nothing. He wasn't there as a covering. And so, men, we need to ask God's help. Help me to be a leader in my home, to wash my wife with the water of the word, to raise my children in the ways of the Lord, especially in the days in which we are in, because there's so much deception that is out there that can creep into our homes. Paul writes about that in 2 you know, Timothy chapter 3, and we need to be that protector. We need to be that leader. We need to be serving. We need to ask for God's help. And yet they did nothing here. And they said, we will not listen to you. 
And in verse 17, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. We, our fathers, are kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For we had plenty of food, were well off, and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women also said, and when we burn incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes to her to worship her and to pour drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? In other words, we were free to do what we wanted to do. When we were doing that, we lacked nothing. Everything was okay. It's only when we stopped doing that that things have gotten difficult. And that is the deception of the enemy. He is so good at deceiving and saying, Hey, you know, remember how good it was? The children of Israel that come out of Egypt back in the book of Exodus... And what was the cry of the children of Israel? Moses, why did you bring us out here in this wilderness? We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt where we had food and we had, you know, uh, things to eat. We're tired of this manna that we're eating that's fallen from heaven. We're tired of being out here in the desert. We want to go back to Egypt. It was easier. And that's the deception of the enemy. Because sometimes Christians can think it was easier when, you know, I was back in the world. The old hangouts, the old ways, the, the old habits, the parties, the, the fun. It's hard now. It's hard being a Christian. I'll tell you what's hard is not being a Christian. And the enemy is very good to, to remind you of the kicks that it was in Egypt, but you forget about the bondage. They forgot about the, the taskmaster's whips on their backs and bacon brick in the hot sun and being in slavery. You know, he doesn't bring that part up. And we need to be careful thinking, well, it was easier in the world. I didn't have people coming against me. Relationships were good. You know, things were smooth. Listen, eventually it will catch up with anyone. The world is a big, fat deception and phony and lie. And the enemy wants you to fall into that. Because the ends of the world brings just devastation, defeat, death, depression, all that. They're saying everything was good. We didn't need our, you know, permission from our husbands. We were doing great. Everything was good when we were in Judah. And they were deceived greatly. In verse 20, then Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men, the women, and all the people who had given him that answer saying, The incense that you burned in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them and did it not come into his mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abomination which you committed. Therefore your land is a desolation. There's that word again, an astonishment, a curse, and without an inhabitant as to this day. Because, because of those false gods, this is where you're at. This is why you have desolation in the land and the city's been burnt because you've burned incense and because you've sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in his law and his statutes or his testimonies. Therefore, this calamity has happened to you as to this day. The Lord showed long suffering and it came to the point where he could no longer endure it and he brought the judgment. We should never mistake the long-suffering and the patience of God for the approval of God. 
He wanted them to turn back. He warned them, but they wouldn't. And we will end up reaping what we sow. That is the spiritual law that Galatians tells us, whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. God will not be mocked. Don't be deceived. And it is true for every single one of us. If we are sowing seeds of the flesh, of the flesh will reap corruption. If we sow seeds to the spirits of the spirit, we will reap everlasting life. That is a spiritual law for every single one of us. And we should never mistake if we're in carnality or sin or disobedience, the long-suffering of God, the patience of God, into the approval of God, or he doesn't care, he doesn't see, he does see. And eventually, what it is that we sow spiritually, there's going to be a harvest that's going to come up. We're going to reap. And so here, as he continues speaking, he says that you've made your decision. There are the consequences. And as we go to verse 29, that this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, that it may know my words and surely stand against you of, of adversity. So in, in verse 24 through 28, we see that he tells them, because you've forsaken my word, you've gone to, to the queen of heaven, poured out drink offerings to her, you know, you've gone to Egypt, all these things that we've seen, that you're going to be consumed. And it shall be assigned to you in verse 29, I'll punish you in this place that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. And thus says the Lord, verse 30, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hapra, king of Egypt, in the hand of his enemies, in the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. So Pharaoh is going to be handed over to the Babylonians just as Zedekiah was. Uh, he's not going to escape Nebuchadnezzar. I'll use him for um, this judgment that will come against him as well. And so that's what would happen. And that's the last message of Jeremiah that was rejected of the Lord. And Jeremiah ended up being in this place where once again he has to see the judgment of God come upon his people. And I'm sure he's, he's very saddened by it. He's devastated by it. Uh, just a, a, a difficult ministry that Jeremiah has had. And in chapter 45, the word that Jeremiah, the prophet, spoke to Barak, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in the book of the instructions of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, so we're going back now, backwards to Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and to you, Barak, you said, woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighting, and I find no rest. And thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I will break down, and what I have planted I will pluck up, that is, this whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity to all flesh, says the Lord, but I will give your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. I think this short chapter here, only five verses long, why is this insert here at the end of Jeremiah's ministry? Chapter 46, we're going to see these proclamations that are going to be spoken against Egypt and against um, 
You know, Moab uh, against Ammon, against Babylon. Uh, that's going to take us to the end of the book of Jeremiah. And here you have this little story that talks about here um, the uh, words that were to be given to Barak. Um, he's the one that wrote down the words. He was the scribe in chapter 36. That, that the Lord told Jeremiah, have these words written down. You're going to give it to Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim, remember, he chopped up the words and threw it in the fire. But Barak, uh, Barak, uh, he, he's just upset. Um, he's discouraged uh, because he's afraid that, hey, the king's going to come after me and kill me. And he wanted to throw in the towel and get out of ministry. And the Lord says, no. Tell him I'm going to take care of him. Jeremiah felt the same way at times, but God would reassure him. And so here his scribe needed to be reassured as well and said that I'm, I'm going to um, give you this assurance and, um, you know, but I'm going to give your life to you as a prize in all the places wherever you go. It's going to be okay, Barak. It's going to be okay. And you don't have to fear Jehoiakim. But there's also a little note in here in verse 5. Notice that it says, and do you seek great things for yourself? One of the things that we're going to see in chapters 46 to the end of the chapter, that judgment would come against these nations. And there's a familiar theme, and that is their pride is going to be mentioned. And, and apparently Barak had some pride issues he wanted great things he wanted to do great things for himself and the lord said don't seek to do that don't seek to do that listen for any of us in our lives we need to be careful of pride i need to be careful of pride in ministry you know i i love to see god doing great things but am i seeking those great things for myself and we need to always give god the glory in whatever he's doing in our lives the blessings he's given to us in our lives and how he's working through our lives. And we are going to see that these nations had rejected the Lord because of pride. It was the people of Judah that had rejected the Lord because of pride. It's such a terrible sin. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before falls, the book of Proverbs says. And we need to constantly be going to the Lord saying, Lord, is there any pride in me? Is there any way I want to exalt myself? Because that's human nature. We want to be noticed. We want to be exalted. We want to be important. We want to do great things for ourselves. But are we humbled before the Lord? And we saw that the word here was given to the people of Judah. You did not humble yourselves, but you continued in pride and disobedience. And destruction has come. And it is true what God's word says, that pride goes before destruction. And there's nothing good in the scripture that speaks about pride. It's such a terrible sin that it caused Lucifer to fall, that angelic you know, cherub that Ezekiel speaks about, that was a, a you know, creation of perfection that fell. And he wanted to be like God said upon the throne of God, Isaiah says. And it became Satan. It's all because of pride. We need to constantly be checking our hearts. Lord, I don't want to be prideful. Not to just seek great things for me, but Lord, I want to do great things for you, for your glory, and to advance the kingdom of God. And so we're going to see as we finish Jeremiah in these last few chapters, how judgment would come to them because of pride, because of their 
uh, turning against the Lord because of what they had done to God's people. And so very important lessons for us here today. Keep a soft heart, number one, as we receive the word of God. Number two, that we keep a humble heart, a humble heart before him, and that we would never say what they did, we will not listen to you. Just full of pride, I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing. I'm going to go to Egypt. I'm going to, you know, do this. I'm going to do that to exalt myself and live in for self. That we keep a very, very soft heart before the Lord and a very humble heart before the Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for these lessons. And I thank you that we can come and, and we can be given the truth of your word for our benefit and, Lord, may we be a people that are always looking to you, to have a soft heart before you, to have a humble heart before you. Help us as men to be leaders in our homes, Lord, to be a covering for our wives and for our children. And, Lord, we need your help and wisdom. And to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, Father, I pray that we would all be Christians, whatever state that we're in, that we desire to follow after you, to heed your word, to know, Lord, that you want the very best for us, and that if we, even in subtle ways, if we ignore your word or dismiss it, desolation will come to one degree or another. Lord, we want to, in these days, be faithful and given the word like Jeremiah was, the word of God to others, to our children, to our grandchildren, to family members, to people at work, our neighbors, whoever is linked to us in our lives, and to continue to give the word of God because it is profitable. The word of God inspired by you, God breathed, put to the page that we can show them through your word those things that are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. And Lord, that we may bring life, the words of eternal life, not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation for whoever believes. And Lord, that people can live in light, not in darkness, in godly wisdom, not in worldly wisdom. That Lord, that they may be established and planted in you. Lord, not in the deception of the world, but in truth. Lord, we thank you for today. We ask that you bless everyone here. Looking forward to when we meet again on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.